Uh, welcome everybody to the Fight Fit Podcast. Sammy Greco, mate, so much going on for you at the moment. Yeah, there's a hell of a lot going on at the yeah, moment. You're yeah, you're a busy, busy man. Um, first of all, thank you so much for coming in, mate. Thank you very much. The fact that you've had uh, like health complications recently. Yeah. I'm sure that there'll be many people wanting to hear an update from you as to how that's going, first of all. So how, how are you doing? Well, first of all, I'm here at this uh, podcast yep. interview. So uh, yeah, things are going well. Yeah, look, I had, it's been the last 18 months that... Uh, been a bit harsh and complicated for me. Um, March last year, I suffered a heart attack. Um, little did I know I had a 99% closure in one of my arteries. Um, had that fixed with a stent. 15 months later, had a re-blockage of that stent, which was quite harsh. Took me back into hospital. They ballooned that back open. And uh, they ran some other further tests on some other arteries and they found significant closures you know, which could possibly cause me some complications down the track. And they weren't going to risk uh, putting any more stents in. And purely, I mean, I've got a history in the family with Dad. 20 years ago, Dad had some stents put in, ended up having five bypasses at the end of it, you know. Mm. Just his body just didn't agree with the stents and um, I wasn't any different. So I ended up having a triple bypass seven wow. and a half weeks ago. Wow. I'm uh, sub- yeah, mate, the fact that you... That you're here and you you look you look very well. <laughs> Thank you. That's just awesome, and I'm so glad that you are here, man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what we'd do without you because, uh, uh. especially your fighters as well. Like, um, those guys like rely on you so much. Jimmy, um, Ben Sassoli, all those guys. You're such a massive part of their development at the moment. So. Yeah. Look, I'd like to think that um, you know I've been a sort of a major influence uh, with my guys, and not just fighters, just just athletes in general. Um, you know, I'm very supportive. Um, to them in you know many facets of life, not just in the fight game. Right. Um, it's always beyond beyond fight. You know, life in general. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm constantly, you know, constantly in their ear, trying to trying to help help people. Yeah, you know, develop as better human beings more than mm. anything else. It's an amazing part of of the coach um, and sort of student relationship in a way, because you know you do see examples out there of sort of coaches who are more interested in their own perhaps their own sort of um, interests and maybe neglect a little bit the actual fighters, what they want, like who, who they are as a person, what, what, how to develop them as, a, as an individual, as a unique fighter and, and all that. So, yeah, 100%. I couldn't, you know, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head. One of the things that, uh, you know, I profess and I always talk about is developing the individual for life in general. Um, fighting is just a minute part of it. Um, with me, it's... You know, I want my students to be better than me. There's coaches out there that live their life through their students' eyes. You can't do that. Mm. You make so many mistakes. You know, you've got to deal with what you've got and work with what you've got. Mm. So I just want to better these individuals. Um, Sorry. I'm missing a phone call there. No, I don't know. <laughs> That's all right. And let me just turn that off. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Is it another one more boy that is this Japan, so. No worries. Um, um, and I was going to say as well, you've got the I'm a Fighter campaign. It's a really yeah. interesting concept there and you do a lot of mo- motivational speaking, so I'm really keen and I think there'll be a lot of people interested to know about the premise of that. Yeah, look, basically what I was just saying before, and it leads into the I'm a Fighter campaign. And the reason why I started the I'm a Fighter campaign, um, a, lot of, a lot of people say, look, oh, it stands to reason you're a fighter, you know, you punch, you kick. It's got really nothing to do with that. It's more about... 
you know, I love the association with the word fighter because for me being a fighter means not giving up. It means fighting against adversities, fighting harder when the chips are down and so on. I mean, the life that we live in general is a roller coaster. Being a fighter is even a super, super roller coaster. So there's a lot of guys physically they feel fantastic, but it's the emotional, psychological side is where they break down. Um, and that's what my Armour Fighter campaign is about. It's about getting hold of these guys and building resilience mm -hmm. through their training, you know, and through life. You know, they, they, I mean, the thing that I've done, and I think, I, I, I think I've done it well, is all my hard training, even though it was a physical thing, I've brought it into my everyday life. You know, the lessons I've learned, you know, mm. the tribes and tribulations that I've gone through. And you I know, guess you'd the, have to be really embodying that at the moment it, as well. It is. You know, I just went through, you know, a, you know, a, a triple bypass surgery. It was four and a half hour surgery. Um, I could have easily just, just been mentally weak before and after, but I chose not to. I chose, I, I knew that I was going to get through it and I believed in what, what I did. And that's, you know, believing in yourself is half of the battle. You know, believing that you will be okay uh, and so on, but taking the right measures also. Mm. You know, how, how, what are the main things that you'd say that you try and like instill in your in your fighters that you think will be uh, good tools for life? Look, one of one of the things I always say is I, I, I always look at myself in the mirror and say, okay, what are my strengths and weaknesses? My strengths are there. There's no reason to really work on those. I can touch on those, but there's no really reason to work on those. Let's work on my. Let's complete me as an individual. And one of the things that I find in today's world, and I'm going through with a few fighters at the moment, physically they're the strongest guys out there. But emotionally, self-belief is a key element. Mm. And behind closed doors, you know, I, you know, structurally someone might look fit and strong to you here, but behind closed doors, you, you just don't know. It's, it's an able to capture those guys mentally. Through all my training, whether I'm, whether I'm training, whether they're, sorry, whether we're training or whether we're, we're on fight day, whatever it may be, I still, till this very day, embed those positive and I reinforce things all the time. I keep, them re I keep resurfacing it because I want them to understand that their biggest enemy is themselves, if they mm. allow it to be. And that's what you don't want. The hardest guy you'll find to fight is yourself. You know? Mm. For those who yeah. understand what I'm talking about. So, you know, it's about having that self-belief, about believing that you can do it. Right. Not cannot do it. I think I think self-belief is something that's so incredibly hard to, to come by and it's very much something that you build up over time and to, to know that you're really working on building that from the inside out with your fighters is quite is yeah, quite it doesn't come it doesn't come overnight. It comes with you know, weeks and months and years, and I mean years of training. It doesn't come just overnight. You don't automatically become smarter. You don't automatically become stronger. It takes, it's a progression, you know, slowly, mm. slowly. And you've got to be willing to, to, to ride it out. And it's not going to always be, you know, um, glitz and glamour. Mm. There's going to be some, some times where it's just dark and doom and everything else. And mm. you're prepared to, to weigh that through and just, and just really see it through. And you've been around for so long, mate. You, you would have seen pretty much everything there is to see in this sport. There must have been times where you've had to really either put on the brakes with, say, say like a training day um, where you've seen the telltale signs of somebody who's maybe mentally fatigued and maybe had to put the brakes on a little bit in that regard. Is, have, how good are you now at really reading those signs? I'm really good. I mean, I don't have, you know, 100 fighters under me. You know, I have a small group. And yep. the reason why I have a small group 
because I treat it as a family and I've got to know every individual, you know, uh, more so emotionally and psychologically than more so than physically, you know. Mm. Like I said to you, everyone can brush up to be physically strong and look, and look tough and everything else, but are they really inside? And I have a great connection with my guys um, that, I can, that I can literally pick them off straight away and they're like, how'd you know that? You know, I've had guys, a simple, simple example is this. I mean, guys have come in, um, you know, to training and they, they, they are geared up to training and I'll look at them and it's just this look on their face. They just look dull and tired and I say, you're right, have you slept overnight? Did you sleep well overnight? And they're like, yeah, look, I slept a bit restless, didn't really eat well last night and so on, but I don't really feel well. My theory in life is this, you know, even though we say the worst workout you can do is the one you don't do, when it comes to things like this, the sport is so dangerous, the fight game is so dangerous, and I want you to be at your best every single time you walk in. And I'm going to ask for the best, you know, um, and that's the best way to learn. So I've had, I've had guys come in and just, you know, not give me what I want, and halfway through this session, I say, look, pack your bags and off you go, go home. I want you to go out and rest. And they're like, oh, no, because there's this whole guilt fact. Pride as but well. I, basically do it from a psychological aspect mm. the next time they come training they're full-blown right into it you know they've had time to think about what's happened they've had time to you know uh, you know absorb exactly what i've just finished telling them and they come back refreshed and that's the type of mm. guys that i want you know i find that so interesting like just little details like that of, of ways in which different coaches go about making fighters the best that they can be because every fighter habituates in different ways and become and every fighter who's achieved greatness would have achieved it um, in different ways but everybody has greatness behind them in order to become great as well what, what if you had to look at a guy like jimmy crute that you've been training for a while now what are this what are the signs that you see in him that he that he has something special uh, I think he has an enormous courage um, and I think it can be really overpowering, could be dangerous to him too. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a brilliant thing that he does have. Um, you know, I use the term, you know, having balls and having the, the word, mm. you know, the C-U-N-T in you, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, you know uh, but you can't, you can't buy that. You've either got it or you haven't. And for those that have got it, sometimes it hasn't been found and you've got to go and find it. You know, and all of a sudden you see this guy just resurface to something bigger and better. Jimmy's always had it from the start. But to counter that, he didn't have, um, what's the word? He, you know, he had that, but he, he just used to throw everything at you. He didn't have that control mm. until time, you know, went, went through and I just worked with him and I used to say to him all the time, I said, don't worry about your brute strength, don't worry about your courage, don't worry about everything. Let's worry about great technique. Let's mm. be sharp mentally and physically, you know. This is, you know, y your mind and the strength of your mind will always drive you to the finish line. Physically alone, you might get there, you might get close, but you will break down. But it's that mental fortitude that's going to take you to that next step mm, just I'm, over the finish line. That's such a fascinating point about Jim because... Obviously, something that I'm very passionate about is Aussie fighters doing well on the world stage. Love to see it. I follow it with a fine-tooth comb. <laughs> and I've been following Jim for a while. And I noticed that on his contender series fight, he had a lot of nervous energy that he brought into that fight. But I think he, he managed to get over the line in that fight. But then you can see it in his fights um, since how it's slowly become better and better. Um, and now I feel like if he sort of gets that in check, that nervous energy as he matures as a fighter... 
Um, the sky's the limit for him. He's 23 and it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, look, people, you know, in general, people underestimate nervous energy. People underestimate large crowds and everything else. It's got to be part of your training. You know, I, I, I say this to all my guys, including Jimmy. I talked to him the other day about it, how important visualisation is, how important meditation is. When you say visualisation, I think there is, like, when I, when I see that, I, I mean, I see, like, somebody sitting in the room beforehand just visualising exactly the steps of or how they're going to win the fight or how things are going to unfold. How do you interpret visualisation? Well, you, you're partly, I'd say you're partly right. And when people visualise, they tend... For those who aren't sure how to visualise properly, they tend to visualise only them winning, so to speak. But the truth of the matter is, visualise a fight. Visualise a fight when you are on top techniques that you want to do, making them miss, making them mm -hmm. pay and so on. It's not about you just going, go, go, go. And all of a sudden, then there's that trade-off where you feel you're on the back foot. That's part of visualisation also. If you get knocked down, and I've done it so many times, I've done it over and over again, and through visualisation, I've won fights over 100 times before I stepped in the ring. But wow. had I not done it, had I not done it, it would have been a different story. I can't tell you the amount of strength mentally I gained, more so than physically, out of visualisation. Mm. The whole thing is believing. You really have to believe, and it comes with all the hard work. When you look back at all the hard work, you can turn around <coughs> excuse me, and say, I know my opponent hasn't done what I've done. There is no reason on the face of this earth that I should get beaten today. The only person that could beat me today is me. Mm. And that's the truth by not completing your task. Wow. You've got a coach there for a reason. You know, Paul Fife was a classic example, the great Paul Fife being my coach. I learned so much off him. You know, here's a guy where his belief in his, in his fighters was unbelievable. Through the good or the bad, he was always there. And the guy didn't even have to scream from the corner. Hmm. You know, fighting in front of 80 to 100,000 people, they're chanting away. I could still hear him because I had that connection with but him. When, I didn't he, have to when look. he does scream from the corner, it's, it, you hear it. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. And it's, it's, it's piercing. And it can be painful at times, but there's a reason why he does it. And he was, wants the best for you. And Paul, I'm probably a reflection of Paul, you know, to, to a certain degree. Um, that I try to embed in my fighters, that positivity, that visualisation, you, you, you've got to see it. If you can't see it, you can't achieve it, mm. you know? And people say, yeah, oh, look, I thought about the fight. I had a dream about the fight last night. I think of it, but shit, I've got to admit, you know, I got knocked down. I said, and what did you do? You fucking get back up. <laughs> you fight on. You've got to have dog in you. You really do. It's you or me. Mm. You know, you're not going out to lunch with your opponent. It's a physical fight. It's dog eat dog out there. Absolutely, and that that's it's so cool. The lineage of you know when you, when you think about it, you know, to Jimmy, yourself, Paul Firefield, and this is something that's you know Paul's still with us today, and he's still bloody in best the best shape <laughs> out of anyone. I think he'll always be. That's <laughs> the thing with Paul. But 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 he's like the the maestro, you know, and it just is so. It's almost beautiful how it gets passed down from generation to generation, and now we're seeing it manifest through through your boys and it must be something that you're incredibly proud of and that you you look to Paul as, as such an important person in your life as well. I, I'm going to be honest with you, I had an amazing relationship with Paul, um, inside fighting and outside fighting. He's such an intelligent and intellectual person. Um, a lot of people don't see that. But when you get sitting with Paul and talking to him, you could talk about anything. That's the beautiful thing about it. He's a guy that could take your mind off the fight and he is a guy who can put your mind back into the fight. And his rules 
were quite simple, you know. He did an amazing thing for me when I first won my, you know, my 1999 um, world title. And this is why I absolutely adore the guy. Um, three weeks before the fight, uh, I was training in, in Melbourne. I was fighting uh, Mike Bernardo from, from uh, South Africa right. over in Japan, over in 99. And, um, and I remember when we, when we, when we uh, accepted the fight, it was, it was all guns blazing, let's go, you know. And I was going full steam ahead. Training was extremely hard, sparring with a lot of guys like Tosk and a few of the other big heavyweights. Relentless bastards they were, <laughs> you know. But they're the type of guys that made me who I am today too. And, um, it was an amazing crop you guys yeah, had. Yeah, it was. It was hardcore. It oh. was hardcore. I, I, look, I honestly think we probably couldn't transition that hardcore in today because of politics and everything else. This but is the um, politically correct culture now. E exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. right. And things were done differently then, but they got the job done. And so I, remember, I love this podcast. These yeah, stories, please carry on. Yeah, and, and, you know, three weeks before the fight, you know, I got some really sad or bad news that back in 99 that... Uh, my dad had to undergo um, a quintuple bypass. Now, here I am getting ready for a fight. A fight of my life. But guess what? He's got a bigger fight of his life ahead of him. And I remember talking to Paul at that time. And, and as my dad would say, family first. And Paul was, you know, he didn't even blink. He said, mate, go look after your family. And the truth of the matter is, which he did bring up too, he goes, mate, we can fight for a world title anytime. You got one dad. You know, so I remember I remember going to visit Dad, pretty much a day before his operation, and and uh, my dad was so stubborn-headed. Even though he came late into my sport, uh, because typical Wog mentality, your sport's <laughs> not going to make you money. What are you doing? You know, come and work with me. And I was, we're both motor mechanics by trade. Right. He says, you know, all this is business is yours, but I just didn't want to. I just love my sport, and he didn't believe it until the later years. You know, and. Um, I remember seeing him the day before, and the first thing he said to me as soon as I walked in the hospital, he goes, uh, what are you doing here? And I said, what do you mean, what am I doing here? And I, he says, how's your training going? I said, it's not, Dad. I said, it's off, off the tables. I'm not doing it. I said, I've spoken to Paul and everything. He goes, no, no, please, son. He goes, I know that you've always wanted this. Please do it for me. And I said, Dad, let's look after you first. If all goes well, then I can get up and go, you know, but I can't do it right now. And... Um, that conversation finished and the next day and the day the morning of his operation I went to see him and he asked me exactly the same thing as if he didn't ask me the day before. You know, so he's obviously tested me and I said exactly the same thing. And he, he said, son, son, he says, do me a favour. He says, I want you to go and get what you really, really want and really deserve. I know you've worked hard. He goes, I probably don't appreciate what you do. But he goes, I know you've worked hard. He goes, I'll be fine. He goes, I'll see you on the other side. A few of those words tore me apart, you know. I can imagine. Yeah, you know, and imagine. then seeing a priest walk in at the same time, I didn't yeah. know. I said, Mum, what's a priest doing what's here? What's he doing here? Yeah, well, yeah. A priest walks in and basically gives him a blessing. Right. Um, if anything untowards happens, so on. I mean, at that particular time, my insides were just fucking I can imagine. churning and everything else. I just wanted to punch a priest in the face, but yeah. little did I know. But um, he goes into the operation, you know, and we sat back and just waited, and his operation was four hours plus also, 20 years ago. And, um, that would have been a long four hours. Yeah, it was. It was the longest four hours of my life, but an intense and nail-biting. And then I saw him straight after the operation, which was a couple of hours in ICU, a couple of hours after he, he, he got into ICU, and he looked like death warmed up. He was just blown out. He had tubes through his neck and through his mouth, down his throat, through his stomach, um, cuts through his arm and middle of his chest and everything else. But 
it just looked like death warm up. And it really, at that particular time, really made me reevaluate life and the purpose of our existence and why we do things and why we don't do things. You know, it really did. It really set in like crazy, you know. And at that particular time, I, I, I was looking at him and I, I said to one of the nurses, I said, will he be okay? And he goes, yeah, when he comes to, because he was in, he was in ICU, he was in like an induced coma, and then they take you out of that, put you in like in a coma form, but wait for you to breathe, start breathing, and then they can pull the pipes out, otherwise they'll, they'll leave you back in there. And, um, and it was just like, is he gonna wake up or isn't he? Is he gonna wake up or isn't he? Now, I'm not medically minded, so my trust at that particular time was in their hands, and it was the worst feeling ever anticipation, the waiting game. It was the fucking longest time of my life. And I remember when he did come to, the first thing he did, he wanted to pull the pipes out of his mouth and um, they stopped him from doing it. Eventually they slowly, they ran a little bit of water down just to lubricate the area and they finally come out and he started breathing on, on his own. It was funny, my dad, at that particular time, he's not a religious man. He believed in God, but never a religious man. The first thing he said when, once he knew what was happening. He goes, thank God. And I looked at him and I, I literally laughed. I thought, you prick. You know, <laughs> call on him when you when needed, you know. Anyway, as the days went on, a couple of days went on, um, we got in conversation again and he said, you know, how's it all going, Sam? I said, Dad, I spoke to you before, if you remember. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, it's not. Within four days after, four or five days after his operation, he said to me, can you do me a favour for me? He goes, can you... Can you take this fight? Can you just go? Because I hadn't spoken to the Japanese yet, told them it was off. You know, I was biding the time, and, but I wasn't going to tell him. And then all of a sudden he goes, mate, can you please do it for me? That's all I want you to do. So I mm. rang Paul. He asked me how, how Dad was. And I said, look, he's in good spirits. He's everything else. I said, but Paul, he wants us to go. And he goes, you sure? And I said, yeah. He says, well, if that's the case, let's just do it, you know. And off we went, you know. We got to Japan. I think we were there 10 days pre the fight or something. And... Um, you know, it was, everything was going really good. Because I was fit anyway. Everything was going really well, apart from my dad being ill at the time and recovering, sorry. And it was pretty good talking to him on the phone, but not face to face. So that sort of kept my spirits up high. And I knew I just had to do something for Still him. Still be playing on your yeah, mind, obviously. Yeah. And Paul was really good, really comforting. Uh, you know, he's, he's a great guy to have around. He's a great role model and everything else. And he's such, such a solid, I, I call him the rock, you know. He's such a solid rock when, when things come like this. Because... Mate, as you know, through through himself, you know, his family's first. He doesn't really give a shit about anything else, you know. And um, my instructions for that fight were quite simple, you know. Don't mix any more than three or four punches with him. Stick a move. You're a lot faster than what is and so on. And I remember the day of the fight, those instructions were given to me yet again. And, you know, this is... I'm going to explain to you how important coaches are not just coaches, coaches that I'm talking about, the coach, you know. Mm. And that's why I admire him so much. On the day of the fight, he gives me the instructions again. We went through the whole ordeal. You know, I was doing a lot of visualisations too and, and, and so on. And um, again, he, he, lay, he lays out the rules and out I go, you know. And there was, it was 70 odd thousand people there. I'll never forget. It was just massive, massive. And it's the fight of my life now. Here I go. And he gives me my instructions again in there. And out I went. The bell went. And there's this fierce monster on the other side, breathing fire, just wants to rip your head off. So we're going to war. That's exactly what we're yep. doing. And Paul's voice is so delicate at times, but yet so powerful. And uh, I'd get out there and I was sticking and moving on this guy. And all of a sudden, within I think a couple of minutes into the round, I got on a, a good exchange on him. 
So I got that one, two, I got three punch. As I went to throw that fourth punch, he clouts me with a right hook, hits me straight in the jaw, knocks me flat on my back. Mm. Absolutely fucking it. I, I wasn't out, but I was, I was down. Close to and it. I, yeah, I, I, I felt like I was just a block of lead on the ground. And I'm peeling my head off the ground, but I couldn't get my body off the ground. And I, I sort of looked up and I was listening to everyone through muffled ears. It sounds like everyone was mm, underwater. It's really yeah, weird. It's feeling. really fucking weird the way it is, yeah? And I looked up and there was a silhouette of a guy going, <laughs> three was because the light was beaming in the back of the thing. I remember it vividly. And through all this at one particular time, I hear, fucking get up, Sam. Get up was Paul. And I managed to get on my knee at seven, stand up, and I was like a flag on a windy day. It was, mate, it was whacked. And the referee turns around and looks at me and says, are you okay, Sam? Now, I don't know any fighter to this very day to say, no, ref, I'm not. I'm going to go home. I'm hurt. <laughs> of course I'm going to say yes. So I said yes. And uh, he says, well, fight. And then Mike Bernardo just comes storming straight at me. I threw, a, I threw a punch. I went to throw a kick. I slipped over because my legs were like fucking jelly. And um, I ended up getting back up. We exchanged a couple more and the bell went. And I'll tell you how stuffed I was hmm. at that particular time. Paul was waiting for him in his corner, in, in, his, in our corner. I went to a neutral corner. Mike <laughs> went to his corner. Yeah, laugh. But the referee goes, no, you're going over there. And I thought, oh, fuck, here we go. So I got back to the corner. Paul started talking to me. And he, he reckons I was like a – for the first 20 seconds, I was like a, you know, a blank canvas. You still right. got a blank canvas until I finally snapped. And he just – he poured it hard on me. He says, mate, I asked you – what did I tell you to do? He goes, get out there and weather the storm for the second round. He goes, stick a move. Get those legs back and that's what I want you to do. And this is a smart operator. He didn't tell me exchange mm. with him. He said, get those legs back because he knew I was going to be faster and quicker. And uh, we'll worry about it in the third round. That's how confident he was. And that's exactly what I did. I came back after the second round. He says, how are you feeling? I said, not bad. Yeah, my legs are coming back. And he says, he goes, Sam, he goes, time to go to work now. And I think, shit, I've been working for the last <laughs> two rounds. He goes, no, time to go to work. He goes, you've got to pour it on him. Mm. You've got to pour it on him at, all, at, at every cost. That's it. You've just got to do whatever you have to do now. Take it home for the next three rounds. And um, sure enough, I agreed and I said, let's go. And as, as you know, they, they called out seconds out, and, they, and as they called seconds out, I was just about to walk off and Paul grabbed me by the arm at that particular time. And, and the fucker that he is, he knew exactly at the time to call it. And he called one of the biggest, biggest things that, that stick, to me, stick with me in my head for the rest of my life. He says... Your dad's depending on this. No. And I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how powerful those words were, you know, coming from a man that I absolutely oh. admire and respect, you know, both Paul and my dad. And that's all he had to say. And it's just like he's just started this whole, this, this, this super, supercharged V8 engine he started inside me and the fire started burning. My eyes started to roll and I went out there like a man possessed and I was tagging Mike Bernardo with triple jab right <laughs> hands, back spitting kicks, kicking him everywhere, cutting him open everywhere. And at the end of the five rounds, I knew I had won it. Paul knew that I had won it before I even got my hands raised. Wow. And when I got my hands raised, I said, thank you, Dad, <clears throat> right? And it was so memorable. You, you know, you, you're talking about how important coaches are. That's what I'm saying. There's a man who knew it. He didn't throw comments for the sake of throwing him. He knew when to throw them and when it's going to be the most powerful. And that's about knowing your fighter. Wow. What turns them on, what turns them off. What a story. Yeah, and so, he, so I, I really thank him for that um, and obviously Dad too at the same time. But, you know, the, one of the greatest victories in my life 
was that. And it wasn't so much the belt. Honest to God, it wasn't so much the belt. It was the purpose of it hmm. and why I was doing it and how I did it. Because, and that's why the I'm a Fighter campaign come about too, is that fighters are champions or world champions, whatever you want to call them, when they win a fight, yeah? But it's how you win it. You know, champions are, <coughs> I think great champions are guys that throughout their career at times get knocked down. It's what you do when you get back up. Mm. I had the choice of staying down. I had the choice of lying out. Still getting paid the same, but I got too much pride. Your dad was depending on you. And my dad was depending on me. Man, and I had is... a coach I couldn't let down. You know, Paul's a no-bullshit guy. If, you, if you're lazy and you fuck around, he'll tell you straight up. Hmm. You know, and I'm not prepared to wear that. I prefer to give him everything because he gives me everything. There are just so many, there are so many layers to that story that make it that such an amazing story. First of all, the thank you so much for sharing that about your old man as well. Well, it's I can very... tell you one thing before you go ahead. That's the first time I'm telling you the story without shedding tears. I yeah. normally do, but I've had to cut it little bits out. Yeah. Purely because I, I, I choke on it. I really, really do. Um, because this is that that is one of the most emotional roller coasters I've ever been on in my whole entire life. Yeah. Well, you know? I, I can completely understand where you, my old man passed away when I was 19 from a heart attack. Mm. So I completely understand where you're coming from. And I, I cannot tell that story. There's absolutely mm. no way. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, the coming of age of your old man sort of accepting you as a fighter and telling you to go and pursue your dream is as well and to go and kick that goal is just such a cool story. And then the sort of the wisdom that Paul imparts on you and that one, that one comment is just, that's just yeah, amazing. Paul, Paul, Paul had a way with words. You know, he, he wasn't one that was outspoken in terms of, you know, you just wouldn't shut up. Sometimes the best word said was the one unsaid. Hmm. I'd had to look at him and that was it. And I knew what he wanted. And at times he'd have to tell me. But, you know, having said all that, would I be here? Would I have won a world title without him? No, no. You know, you, you honestly, you have to, uh, everyone out there, even for those people listening to this podcast, in order, to, in order to appreciate being on top, you need to appreciate what it's fucking like being down here, man. Mm. And no one likes it. Not one person that I know to this very day likes being down the bottom. I don't care who you are. Yeah? It's very but true. are you prepared to do the work to get up? Yeah. I, don't mind, I don't mind failing in life. Mm. And I say this to all my guys. But I can't handle not fucking trying. That's a no-no. Yeah? If you fail and give it everything, I have no problem with that because we can go away and we can learn. But I can't accept you not trying. Right. Because not trying is already failure. And I guess when you were on the canvas, when you'd been knocked down, that would have been like taking every little bit of strength to... A fighter's, instinct, to a fighter's instinct is to get back up. Right. Or it should be anyway, right. as far as I know. Unless you've been to Sully's opponent. Yeah, yeah you understand exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't be there. You're yeah, not cut out exactly. for it. Go and dance, go and do it, play chess or something. You know, um, uh, people say, you know, how do you relate the, the... What do you relate the fight game to? I relate the fight game to a, a, chess, a game of chess. It's about me making you make a mistake mm. and checkmate. It's an intelligent game. The average eye will look at it and think, oh, these are two, two pit bulls in a cage or two guys in a fight just trying to knock each other out. But it's not. That's the thing that's, There's a that's science the behind most, the game. That's the most important about fighting. And that's the thing that I find the most fascinating. And when I get to talk to guys like yourself yeah. and um, 
you know, I talked to Hammer the other day and guys like Nick Carra and Dave Hedgecock, all of these guys just have their own wisdom and Paul Fifield, obviously, um, to give. And it just, fighting is something that completely transcends just the act of physically fighting. There's so much more behind it. And everything that you've just said now is just an exemplification of, of the mental fortitude that it takes to become a fighter and all the obstacles and the, the getting back up. And, and I would really recommend everyone to go on Instagram and follow the I'm a Fighter campaign. Yeah, I'm a Fighter campaign, or the Sam Greco. Follow, follow yourself K1 as well. K1 Sam Greco, yeah. But one thing i got to say, it's, and, and I've got to take my hat off to you guys too, I mean, there's a lot of people running promotions out there, but then you guys have got the Fight Fit Challenge. Now, you don't have the Fight Fit Challenge, and I'm... Look, you don't have to be an Einstein to work this out, but the Fight Fit Challenge is not about creating a world champion fight, it's about creating a world champion person. Right. Right? It's about Spot taking on. people out of their comfort zone. And that's what I enjoy doing with my guys. For me to get the best out of you, Jake, I'm going to take you to your comfort zone. You're either going to make it or you're not. But I'm going to guide you all the way. If you do fall, I will give you a hand the first time. The second time, I might even say, come on, get up. The third time, you're on your own. Let's go. Hmm. You know, you're either going to do it or you're not. The fight game itself is too dangerous. And this is why I love the average, you know, Joe Bloggs, white collar, who comes in to do boxing, you know, your footballers of today do boxing and kickboxing and so on. Um, not everyone's going to become a fighter. Why? Well, but why do they yeah. do it? Because there's a certain element to the fight game that makes you feel fucking alive. You're so, you're so spot on with that fight fit challenge analysis because yeah. um, I remember someone said to me before I did, they were like, I was doing and throwing as to whether I was going to sign up or not. And then they said to me, mate, it'll change your life. And, I, and, and then I, I was going to sign up with Bash and Bash literally made me just sign up for it. And it was the best thing I ever did because I didn't understand and I couldn't fathom what it was like to push yourself past your thresholds or your perceived thresholds like I did during the Fight Fit Challenge. And my, my um, energy was so much better. My fitness was better than I could have ever imagined. Hmm. My relationships, my general happiness and mental health, my self-confidence and belief just skyrocketed after that. So you're spot on about making a champion person because when you when when you take somebody out of their comfort zone like that, it just builds character like like you wouldn't believe. Mm, and it's it doesn't come overnight. Again, I'm going to say this. You know, the, there's there's yourselves. There's the even the wimp to warrior for argument's sake. What they do and, and and so on. It's not about them creating. You know, same with you guys. Not about them creating world champion fighters. It's about creating world champion people. It's about getting someone. The average Joe blogs. You know, who's home cooking and looking after kids, getting involved into something that's, that's, it's like walking on a tightrope without a fucking net, mm. you know? It's testifying, yeah, in, in that aspect. But you're getting the best out of that individual. And I'm so amazed and I'm so proud of people that actually take that step, you know, and knowing that they've got good trainers around them, they're not going to be just thrown into the, you know, lion's den. Mm. Um, but they challenge themselves. How beautiful is it every day getting it up, knowing... You know, you're going to challenge yourself. And then the, true, true, to my, true to the word that, you know, their biggest opponent isn't the opponent they're going to face that day. It's, it's themselves. Spot on. Your fight is from when you start that journey. Your fight isn't the, the, the finish is the easy bit. Mm. It's all the segments leading up to it. That's really what your fight is. You know why? Because you don't get up at 8 o'clock, you know, uh, to go training. No, you've got to get up at 5, you know. Your meals change, your sleep pattern change. So you've got to sort, resort your life around kids, family, whatever. You know, you're not doing it full time, but you've got to resort that. 
No, Man, you do. It's that's, a big commitment. That's, that's a challenge within itself. And this is why I take off my hat to people that actually challenge themselves. And, and you, what you guys have got going is phenomenal. I, I'd advise anyone, whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, whether you're an older generation, to try it. It's self-challenging at the end of the day. I've not met someone who's regretted it. No, sure. or, nor have I, nor have I. And I speak to a lot of people and, you know, people often say, you know, I, I, I want to challenge myself and, okay, what do you do with yourself? Oh, I need to do this and this. So they work within their comfort zone. For them challenging themselves rather than doing a, you know, a, 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 a three-kilometre run at, at 10K an hour, they're doing it at 12K. That's their challenge. And I'm saying, no, I'm going to pull the rug from under you. I want to see where, how you react. Mm. And if you need your hand, I'm here. I'm not going to leave you high and dry, I'm here. And that's why I like all this stuff. It's created some, it's created uh, beasts out of normal people. Hmm. But I mean beasts in terms of now all of a sudden they're walking with their chest out, chin up, right. and they feel good about themselves. Right? But they, they haven't got the six pack and they haven't got all that that, that social media or whatever it is uh, does. They're just normal people, but they feel good about themselves. It, the, the, How the, fucking the great is that? Is, is a gratitude that comes from within as well. Exactly. When you have that fight on the night, you're absolutely shitting yourself, but after it, you're like, fuck, I did it. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I committed to the eight weeks, and now I feel like I can, the next challenge is, you know, I can do the, the next challenge. And yeah, it's an amazing, it's a, it's a really beautiful feeling. Um, and it's obviously something that you would have felt many times throughout your career. I mean, we would literally be here all day and night <laughs> if we tried to cover it. I'm talking, yeah. we're talking movies. Your K1, your training, your fighting, the, the uh, coaching that you've done. If you could think of one time in your fighting career, another really pivotal moment for yourself or another really pivotal fight, what, what would you sort of put the spotlight on that really sort of defined you as a, as a character or as a fighter? Okay, uh, you know, and this, this comes across, probably come across as negative for those who, who listened to it the first time, but there's so much positiveness in this. When I, when I left Australia, I mean, everyone knew Stan the man, you know, and it was, hey, he was, he was the guy flying the flag and, and everything else. Now, I've come from a full contact karate background, bare knuckle, no punches to the head, but you can kick a knee to the head and punch to the body, yeah? So I've stepped into the <coughs> kickboxing world because I just, you know, wanted to make a no little bit of a name for myself because I was teaching kickboxing. And I thought, well, I'd be an idiot if I didn't actually compete in it hmm. while I'm teaching it. You know, you've got to walk the walk and talk the talk, yeah? I wasn't one of those textbook guys. So I put myself under and let me tell you, I hated the head punches. I, I can't tell you how much I hated it. There was a time where I think I got hit that many times in the head that I ended up leaving my car in the car park in Brunswick and walking to the other side of Brunswick just with my bag and I had tears coming out of my eyes thinking, why am I doing this? I used to question it. Wow. I used to question it. I literally did. And my, when I got home, my dad asked where my car was. I told him where it was. He goes, get in, your, get in the car with me. He goes, we're going to pick it up. I never have picked you to... Well, no, and that's what I'm saying. There's, all, there's, there's dark sides to us too that people mm. don't see. People see the glitz and the glamour, the cups, the trophies, the hands up in the air, the money and everything else. they don't else. see the tears. They don't see Brunswick. the tears. They don't see the injuries. That's the that, that's stuff that I'd say they're going to make you or break you, depending how you absorb it. And I went through all that. And then when I wanted to make a name for myself, you know, through the kickboxing world, I thought okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I remember having my first fight here for a New Zealand champion. I ended up knocking him out with um, a Superman punch, one of the first Superman punches here in Australia. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic, you know, my first kickboxing fight. But what I found at that particular time, I'm not, not embarrassed to say it, 
where I was training, I was training with Dana Goodson under the stand camp and everything else. But I was felt that I was, I don't know, I felt that I was riding under his wing and I never was going to be let out, mm. you know. But I thought, you know what, it's probably just my imagination and everything else. And I just learned as much as I could through that, yeah. And there came a point in, in, in my life that we had a bit of a disagreement um, and I thought, you know what, I've got nothing to prove in Australia. I'm going to go overseas. Let him have the limelight here. I'm going to go overseas. If I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it against the biggest guys in the world. And sure enough, I went to Sato Kaikan, which was the backbone of K1 at the time. Sato Kaikan was formed by Kazuyoshi Ishii, the founder of K1, who used to be a student of Masoyama in, in Kyokushin. They invited me over. Now, I went over and did my apprenticeship there. Now I lied to my parents. They thought I was in a hotel. I was in no hotel. I was in dormitories, in a 20-room dormitory with another 19 other guys. We had two, two toilets, um, not Western toilets, Japanese-type toilets on the ground, and two showers. Absolutely <laughs> fucking putrid. You wouldn't let oh. your worst enemy live in there, right? We'd train. I'd, I'd literally wear, if I didn't have my thongs, I'd have to wear my runners to shower, right? And you'd squat down to go to the toilet and everything else. And if you had corkish, you fucking, no hope of getting back up. But mm. anyway, I went through that. My mum used to say to me, send me photos, send me photos. And I, I'd never send her a photo of where I was staying, of training and all that. Yes, I did. And uh, it took me 12 months, 12 months to make a name for myself. I ended up fighting in the, um, in 1994 in the World Cup, 64-man mm. eliminator. I think it was five fights for the day I had. And end up knocking virtually everyone out, winning the world world title. At that particular time, literally the day after, the big boss of K1 and Sato Kaikan knocked on my door and says, I want to see you in the office. I went in the office. He says, you no longer will be in here. You, we're going to put you up in a in uh, your own room in a hotel. And I thought, oh, I thought it was only for a short time. But they could probably see something in me that I did at the particular time. And my life started to roll then. You know, and I started to send pictures to my mum where I was staying and everything else mm. at that particular time. But I had to fund, partly fund my, myself and I borrowed some money off friends to get there. It wasn't easy. It was hard. And I left Australia to, to stand for argument's sake. Um, and that, was hard within it, that was hard within itself. And I fought and then I started fighting. They said to me from Korea, they said, we want you to fight in K1. And I thought, wow, okay, <laughs> what am I doing here? You know, so they offered me a fight against Masaki Satake, who at that time was the world champion, Japanese world champion, biggest star over there, had his own TV show, had his own dolls and everything else. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but what I did have, I had the courage to take him on. I thought to be the best, I'm going to have to take on the best. And the Japanese underestimated me. So we went over and um, I ended up uh, knocking him out in the second round, compressing his audible, his uh, eye, eye socket and virtually retired him. And at that particular time, if anyone gets to see that fight against Masaki Tataki, which was my first K1 fight. It's on YouTube. It's, yeah, it'll be on YouTube. If they show the crowd, because I've got it on video, they show the crowd, the crowd's- 100,000? Literally, literally, no, no, <laughs> just literally in awe of just about what's happened. The promoter's like, what the hell? People are crying, screaming at Sataki. And here I am, I've just taken out one of their best. But what was gonna spiral from there was just amazing, I mean, they, they took me in, the Japanese, and says, oh, you're a tough boy, you've got you know, karate spirit. Mm. So it was all about karate spirit. That's the way they embedded it. That's the way they got me in. Yeah. 
and reeled me in, but I didn't give it care then. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take it for what it is. And my next fight, my second fight over there was Peter Ertz. Mm. I didn't even know who Peter Ertz was. Really? No, at that particular time, because I was too busy worried karate, I just started to work out who he was. And I ended up going the distance with him. Your second fight? My okay. second fight was Peter Ertz, but oh, they spiral right. all the big guns. But it's that fight there that I got beaten. I got dropped three times in that fight with body shots. But I learned so much, so much from that fight, and I knew what not to do. And I had to improve my boxing, you know, by mega magnitude. I just really had to improve my hands and everything else. But Peter Ertz himself that particular day said, even with lack of experience, Sam Greco is one of the hardest guys to fight, of which I ended up fighting him again later on. But from there, they just scaled it. I went from Peter Ritz to Ernesto Hoos to Jerome LeBanner to Mike Bernardo to Andy Hug. Not once, not twice, sometimes three times I fought him. You know? but the biggest names. The biggest names. The biggest history. names. They, they, they will never have that error again, full no. stop. You know? um, yeah, just to it, 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 it wasn't about being you know, showboatish. It was hardcore. It was hardcore. You'd be, you'd be friends, you'd be eating together now, but you'd be fighting again t- tomorrow. And the Japanese crowds would absolutely just pour in. It didn't matter. You know, the press conferences were press conferences. They weren't this whole friggin' show. You know, fuck you. Fuck. And there was none of that. Right. You know, um, words, were, words were far and few. If you said you're going to knock someone out, you had to back it up. That was it. Mm. You know, um, you'd really never bag anyone. During that, during that time because we knew we were, we were the elite, you know, and they'd keep bringing in new people from around the world. We just kept boom, 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 knocking them out. So there's probably a good probably 10 to 12 hardcore guys and I was very fortunate to be one of them, you know, being part of that family. Well, your record speaks volumes of that as well. Yeah, um, look. My, phenomenal record. People, people forget, you know, I've had about 96 full contact karate fights and plus my kickboxing fights and the MMA fights and... You know, I don't even have my wrestling ones in there, pro wrestling, but 147 all up with, mm. a, I think, 132 wins or something. Yeah. But, look, irrespective, you know, it wasn't always the fight that I won that taught me a lesson. Sometimes it was the fights that I lost that taught me the lesson because I knew I'd gave it everything, but I just had to improve. You say Peter Ertz would be one of those moments. Oh, Peter Ertz. Peter Ertz, um, uh, Ernesto Hoost, and when I ended up beating Ernesto Hoost, He's a guy that actually turns around in some of his interviews. I just heard him recently too. They asked who has been his toughest opponent and he mentions me. I was just awkward. I was just awkward for him. But I used to work a lot on timing. You know, I try and... I think sometimes I overanalyze fighters. I just break things down. You know, mm. I, I used to watch I used to watch their fights and, and write down their strengths and weaknesses and then I used to write what their timing was like and whether, how many steps they'd take forward to come back and so on. I used to break it. Probably too far, but the truth of the matter is that's what helped me beat these guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, a science behind, you know, working. In today's world, we've got so much right. of that happening, you know. Who, who's – because that, that is genuinely – that is um, like trailblazing sort of stuff for your time, you know. Um, today, because the, sort of, the sport is so commercially available and so consumed, you've got every man and their dog who does some sort of martial arts. Who would you say over, over the history of, of – that you've seen – kickboxing, MMA, whatever, who are the best fighters that you would say, if you had to name one or two? Uh, look, when, when I look at the best fighters, it's not just about technical. It's not about technically. I think just as people themselves. Um, my late friend Andy Hug um, became a K1 champion, but just 
heart and soul every day, every single day. He'd be he'd be living it. He'd be living that life. Mm. You know, constant training all the time. Um, you know, in that era, Peter Ertz and Nesto Hoost. I really, for me to say there wasn't any in that top group, they all stand out because they all offered something different. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. It's the same with MMA and UFC, you know. They're, they're, they're not just top fighters, but they have something different to offer. You know, I, I look at fights differently. I don't look at fights, you know, oh, yeah, he won, he lost. I look at it and I, again, I, till this very day I break it down. I break it down. I love watching the way they do a, a particular technique, timing and everything else. And then I rehearse it and I go back mm. and I get my guys to do it or I do it, whichever it may be. There's a, there's a lot to learn from these guys, mm. you know. Mm. So I, I give credit where credit is due. I think that to me, let's say a handful, the handful could be, you know, a dozen, dozen guys, you know. Yeah. But... Um, those guys in, in, in K1, Ray Surfer and all those guys, hey, they've got so much to offer. And you look at them now, they, they're, they're teaching. They've got fighters coming through the ranks. Peter Ertz has got fighters. Mm. Uh, Nesta Hoos, Ray Surfer. You know, Ray Surfer's running also PFL. Do you have much to do with John Wayne Parr? Yeah, I do have a little bit to do with John Wayne Parr. There's a guy that's absolutely phenomenal, great kid. Um, I just love his wisdom. I just love his, his just his aura, something about him. He's just He's constantly happy, constantly happy, but one of the most dangerous motherfuckers oh, around, yeah. yeah. Did you see that video the other day that was going around of his, one of his friends that he trains with um, was diagnosed with cancer? And, um, and Yeah, I saw a clip of it, yes, I did. And then they were raised... Um, money on a GoFundMe and John Wayne Parr took a video of his friends and his friend was quite emotional. He's a very mm. tough guy, his mate. And, and it was just 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 awesome, man. Just awesome the way that the MMA community got around his friend. Johnny, Johnny is a, a remarkable individual. He has a lot to offer um, the sport. I think what he's doing to this very day, I mean, he's pushing the boundaries, but I think as long as he's healthy, good on your son, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't anyone tell you otherwise. You know, he's desperate for this 100th win mm. and sometimes chasing that heavily can cost you, but I hope it doesn't because he, he deserves it. Oh, uh, man, I hope he gets He's that fighting Mundine. Do I think he can beat Mundine? I think John can beat anyone, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, you know, on a good day, he can beat anyone. Do I think Mundine can beat him? <clears throat> um, look, I'm not a massive rap for Mundine, um, but, hey... Good luck to him, and uh, but I'll, I'll bat for my mate and barrack for my mate, John Wayne Parr. Me too, man. You I've, know? Got, I've got John Wayne Parr all day. I really hope he gets up. You know, you want to talk about guts and balls, John yeah. Wayne Parr's the man. Have you ever seen his documentary, Bread with Venom? Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Fucking yes. good documentary, dude. Yeah, it is. It was put, to, put together really well. It shows that hardship too, and that's what I was trying to tell you before. Not many people see that, you know. Exactly, going to Thailand as a youngster and... Being, being the only white guy there and learning the language and, and embedding himself in the culture, mm. like, just... Your average person will sit down and watch a fight and get, you get your arm raised and they go, geez, that, he was lucky, or, hey, that was easy. Yeah, easy bullshit. Mm. There's nothing easy in the fight game. Mm. You still... The, easy, the easiest thing, people say, what's the hardest thing about fighting? I said training. Simple. Training's the hardest thing. There's no other harder thing than training. Fight, the fight's easy. Fun. <laughs> the, fight's, the fight's easy. Jimmy Crute, if he was sitting here right now and he's, you asked him, you know, what does Sam normally say pre the, uh, uh, pre-fight? Exactly what Paul Fifield used to say to me. He says, mate, you've done, we've done all our hard work. Give me a whole spiel. Then he'd look at me and say, mate, go out and enjoy yourself. Mm. 
You know why he says that? Because I used to fight best when I used to enjoy myself. Jimmy Crute, when he's relaxed and fights best, you won't get next to him. Wow. And that's the truth. That is the truth. What are his biggest strengths? He's, he's, look, his biggest strength, like I said, he's got balls as big as a Grand Canyon. That's number one. <laughs> number two, he's got some beautiful technique. He really has. He's come a long way over the last five years. Um, his mental drive to succeed, you really can't top it. He just, he will not give up, you know. He'll just go, 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 go. Um, just being a beautiful human that he is, you know. Uh, his dedication to training, they're all the strengths that I look at, mm. you know, because it make him who he is. Mm. So uh, I can, as a coach, I can work with all those things. And what's next for Jimmy? Because he's just um, had that fight. He lost to Misha Serkinov, who was ranked 15th in the light heavyweight division. Yeah. Um, he was definitely winning that fight at one point. Could have finished it. He, he was, and I'm going to call a spade a spade. Um, did Misha win the fight? Of course he won the fight, but Jimmy lost the fight. Right. I Misha agree. didn't really I win agree. it. Jimmy, I know Jimmy very, very well. And <clears> I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to lay, you know, I'm going to lay the sword on the table and say this to people. Um, I just hope people out there don't see it as, oh, Jimmy, you know, you stepped up to the plate, now you lost, you know. Go back to where you, where you belong. No. You've got to give the kid, there's admiration there and you've got to applaud the fact that he's taken on one of the, one of the top 15 in the world. Um, he's not selected. From day one he came to me five years ago, he says, I want hard fight, Sam. I want to know where I stand. And that's all he was going to get from me, yeah? He doesn't want easy fights. We took the Misha fight on the basis that I was still going across. Now, mm. remember, we just spoke about medically that I was down and out. So his main, the general's out now. So I had to fill that place. Now, his jiu-jitsu coach who he grew up with for many, many years, 20 years, whatever, back surgery at the same time. So he's out, can't fly, I can't fly. So here's this kid who's gone over. We've had a head coach and mm. a ground coach. So during that time, even when I was down and out, I've had to send him over to, to Rob Whitaker's camp for four weeks, four to five weeks just to take him out of his comfort zone here because he was going to be comfortable, just to bring him back up again, which worked, worked a treat. Did Jimmy do all the work leading into this fight? Hell yeah, he did that and a lot more. You know, so I was proud of He's him He's working with Hammer as well. He's worked with Hammer also. So, and that was, uh, I thank these guys. And if you're a good person, trust me, and I like to think I'm a good person, I've got a great relationship with people. Must be hard, like, must be like, like giving your baby to someone. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, but you know, you've got to do it, you've got to do it in full confidence. Hmm. I'd never do it, never did it thinking, am I gonna lose him? No, I know Jimmy well enough. He's a very, very, loyal. very, very loyal, family orientated right. person. And there's no buts or ifs, full That's stop. Awesome. And uh, I did it in full confidence, so I wanted the best for the kid. If I didn't think the kid could do this, I would never have said, would never have taken the fight from the start. We had a game plan, we had it all set out. I'm thankful to Dan Kelly from Resilience and uh, Steve Baldacino. Those two guys filled in for us. One was doing the stand up, one was doing the ground, and with, you know, with Dan Kelly's uh, UFC experience. And obviously, Jimmy's dad <coughs> was there for moral support and everything else, and they went over. Now, the rules were quite simple for Jimmy. Um, but obviously I think with the hype and everything else, uh, he knew exactly what to do, but then just didn't do it. He got caught in that moment, and when he got to the ground and he was on top, top position, rather than being heavy and slowing it down and picking your shots, 
He just went for broke, mm. right? And the problem is he didn't, what, what we didn't realise or what people don't realise is when he went for broke with his hands, he was allowing his base to come up, allowing Sirkinov to escape out. You know, he did it two, two or three times. But, hey, it's all an experience. Well, so he could have locked ground and If Jimmy is on top and he knows to be top heavy, which he normally does, so the mistakes he made against Sirkinov, he doesn't do that. That okay. is the truth. He's one of the heaviest motherfuckers on the ground <laughs> and one of the slickest guys at light heavyweight. I promise you that. He's only 22, 23. Watch this kid in a few years. Don't, don't forget that he's 23. Yeah, 23. don't forget. Yeah, and, and, you know, he came in at very young, you know. Um, don't forget the name Jimmy Crute. He's so slick that if he did what he normally does, he would have beaten Sirkinov. In the first round, no doubt about it. I have no doubt, and I'm not not pissing in your pocket. I call a spade a spade, but the fact that he didn't follow that plan and he got a bit overexcited, blah blah blah, not having his guys there, I think it took its toll. And Jimmy beat Jimmy that day by giving up positions, and then got caught in an amazing choke. Mm. You know, and he said to me to this very day, he says, "Mate, perhaps I should have went out." And I said, "That's okay, Jimmy. You didn't have to go out. You tapped. There was nowhere for you to go." He was caught very, very tight in that. Mm. Um, doesn't make you a better person by going out. You acknowledge the fact, and that was it. You know, he'll learn from this. He's man. ten and one. He'll learn from this. He's ten and one. It's not the end of the world. It's the beginning. Right. Yeah. You know, when I look back today, one of the first things I said to Jimmy when we had a meeting the other day, we went through the whole fight, and I said, "We won't talk about this ever again." But son, I'm going to tell you, this was the best thing that ever happened to you. You know. Some people take a step back and what, why are you saying that? It's the best thing, what it did, it actually made Jimmy realise what not to do anymore. Hmm. And that he needs to improve and where to improve. You know, along with I exactly know what it is. We're right now putting a game plan together for his training again. You know, we've got, uh, you know, different strength conditioning coaches, we've got sports psychologists, everyone's coming together now. We're fixing this, this, this small issue. Um, to make him grow to be a, a braver and, and better man, you know? Right. Um, but uh, we might see him again soon? I, you, yeah, look, I, we're hoping by the end of the year you might see him. Um, could be, be great, Vegas, could be anywhere. Yeah. Could be anywhere. He's so popular and in Australia now he's really building a big fan base and especially with his all guns blazing sort of approach, he's, his striking's beautiful. Um, his ground game, we haven't seen it properly yet, but it's just... It, I'm sure it's fantastic oh, he's, as well. He's, he's, one, he's one slick guy. Like I said, I think the if he can grasp that that internal belief, yeah, he's going to be totally unstoppable. Yeah. You can mark my words on this on this podcast right now. Yeah. He um, he's just an amazing individual. And I'll tell you something: if you know, I've got Jimmy in in camp. I've got uh, Kim Baldacino. She's uh, very well at the Kim Bollicino, I've got Sean Gauchi and a few others in there. But those guys alone, they're so dedicated. You know, yeah. I've got a girl, Kim Bollicino, who, who travels two and a half hours to training from, from Tarolgan and two and a half hours back. Oh, man. You know, three Dedication. days a week. Come on, man. Are you, are you kidding me? It's, it, there's a girl who's fully dedicated and she gets there and, you know, always wants to do more. And sometimes you have to reel them back. You know, same with Jimmy. You know, Jimmy would come from Bendigo and until I said, look, mate, if you're going to be a professional, you're going to have to come back here. They, I can't. You're never going to get those four hours back hmm. in your life. Right. Every day, every day. So he's starting to see that. He's starting to see the side of professionalism now. It's amazing you know? to see from your perspective 
um, all about Jimmy as a fighter. And I'm sure that Aussie fight fans would just love to hear this stuff. But, I mean, Jimmy says that he looks like Jordan Ngoi, so I'm sure he's got a, <laughs> he's got a big enough head already. They've both got big heads. Yeah, I, think, I, think he, I think he'd wish he was Jordan Ngoi. <laughs> we won't give him any a bigger no. head if he looks anything like Jordy. <laughs> no, Jordy's a good man. He is. Um, so Ben Sassoli as well, he's another very interesting one because he came through the ultimate fighter. He's got hands like fucking steel. He's got knockout power like you wouldn't believe. He was unlucky that he got wrestled by Juan Espino in that ultimate fighter house who went on to win the whole competition. Yeah. Went back to Hex, right? Won his fight. Yep. Um, Dana White's contender series comes along and the bloke gives up after getting a little eye poke. Yeah. <laughs> I made exactly. a cheeky comment about it before. Exactly. Um, funny, funny you say that. I, I'm just, for those viewers, viewers listening to this, it's interesting, you know, because if, when you have a look at the fight, irrespective of whether the guy didn't want to fight on, the rule of thumb is this in the fight game, is protect yourself at all times. Now, he might have copped a poke in the eye. Hmm. I don't know how severe it was. I didn't think it was, but anyway. But I think Ben's got a really kind and good heart, as big as he is and it's, it's like an, an MF, you know. He just waited off and the referee just stood back. And I mm. just said to Ben when he got back, I said, what the fuck are you doing? Mm. Jump on him. Unless the referee pulls you off, you do not get off him. It's dog eat dog out here. And he's realised what I've just said. You know, have a look at some of my fights. You know, I catch the guy and the guy might turn around and do this. But if the referee's not there, I'll keep mm. going. I don't care who you are. I so do you not think care that him. he should have just finished oh, that right then? Yeah. I, I think had he jumped back on him and closed it off straight away, they would have given him the victory. And the contract. They wanted him in the UFC. Mm. You can tell they gave him that chance. And now he's fighting Greg Hardy. Well, now he's got a contract. What? A, but, but is it a one-fight contract? No, 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 he's got a contract. Awesome. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a contract. So they've given, him, they've given him a guy who's probably not well-liked in the industry. Not at all, Greg mate. Hardy for what he's done outside the, outside the cage. Do I think he's a great you know, marketing tool? No, I don't think at all. I think he's, he's disgraceful for, for, for what MMA is about and everything else. But I think he puts bums on seats. He does. He puts bums on seats, and people want to see him fight. People want to see him get bashed. Yeah, people want to see him get bashed, or want to see him win. Yeah. Either or, you're going to sit down. It still makes you popular. Mate, the, the Conor McGregor that... was the same. Yeah, Conor McGregor was the same. Anthony Mundine was the same. They're all of them. They're guys that are controversial, and they put bums on seats, and that's what makes you popular. Hmm. You know. And now Benny's got an opportunity. I was with him today. We did some work this morning. Um, you know, he's going through some hard times too, you know. Right. Through, uh, you know, through some, uh, some personal issues with a, with a very close friend of his. Um, but, you know, he, he contained himself today and he trained really, really well. I think it'll be a great fight. I think it's going to be a very, very hard fight. Um, I can tell you straight up, Greg Hardy's going to come straight at him like he does. There's nothing technical about Greg Hardy, but he's there to work. He punches like a motherfucker really, really hard and loves backing people up against the cage. You know, don't underestimate his knee and his uppercuts. Mm. The moment you, you you curl up, he's just going to go you. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't. He doesn't. I don't think he actually picks his shots. He just throws them. Right. You know, but he hits very, very, very hard. So he how, can't how, be underestimated. How can how can Ben um, sort of mitigate that? Oh look, he mitigated by way too much. You know, the old saying is you can't hit what's not there. And I don't mean to not turn up. I mean, be there. You feed him something, but make him miss, make him pay. Hmm. And and uh, I, even watching Benny today and over the over the years working with him, you know, he's a kid that he's naturally talented. Right. 
He's naturally talented, but he's got to push himself to do it. He's got that power yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got awesome power, but you can't rely on power. Does, whenever I watch Ben, sorry to cut you off there, but whenever I watch Ben, I always see him in this sort of Taekwondo stance. That he Does he, does he have a Taekwondo background? No, he doesn't, uh, No, I don't think he has Taekwondo. I, I, not that I know of, but he sits off. He's a Southie, he's a Southpaw, but he sits very, yeah, I know what you're saying, and his backhand's really mm. further back. Um, I would have liked to see it a bit, 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 you know, up and further and further forward. Um, but I, I think it comes through. It, it, it comes in training. He, he moves around with guys that he's got to lighten his punches with, because mm. otherwise they won't be staying there. Right. You know, and it's created a demon in him. And I just said to him, "You can't afford to do that, man. We've got to. This is over the years. I've been talking. You know." So the moment he fights a guy that he can land on, you can see his, his stance change straight away. Mm. Yeah. So I know what you're saying. I know exactly right. what you're saying. But I mean, even today, I watched him. He did. He did eight, ten. What did he do? Ten rounds today. Um, he really pushed it today. He got. He got. When I said knocked down, didn't get knocked down. Uh, you know, at the end of the round, he just fucking fall down because he's just tied. Bang. Minute later, get back up. We're going again. You know. Um, He's got a big fight on his hands. That's it. Massive. You yeah. know, you, they're giving you an opportunity. In life, you're going to get that one opportunity. You know? If mm. you put on a poor performance, they can take your contract straight off you. Mm. I don't think you will, though. He's an entertaining mm. fighter. He is. He's an entertaining fighter. When, when Ben brings the best Ben there, you've got a great fight. Mm. You know? He's fighting a guy who's 6'5", six, six, orthodox, tra- loves travelling in straight lines, um... Doesn't like being put on the back foot. Has his chin up high. Can Ben tag that 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 chin? Hell yeah. But you know, suggestive to go to the body too. You got a soft midsection. Right. You know, so obviously this this won't be aired to them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Like, like I said, do I got a lot of time for Benny? Um, he's fighting a lot of battles at the moment. Yep. And I'm just proud of the kid that he's he's sticking it out. Well, I, I couldn't think of anyone better to be in his corner than yourself so yeah, yeah. so another person i've got coming on the podcast soon is michelle reeves who i know that you know absolutely legend nutritionist holistic nutritionist and absolutely I, I spoke to her for the first time on the phone last night and basically the premise of what she does is she'll um bring you in do your skin folds measure all your, get all your measurements and then give you an exact diet um you'll log it all down and you'll you'll call her up and she'll, she'll call you every week and see how you're going um, so I'm really looking forward to that. But I was saying to her, I saw that you were doing Jimmy Crutes and, and I know that you know Sam Greco as well. And I was like, what the fuck have you been feeding Ben Cazzoli? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if Benny's with her. No, he's not. He's yeah, not. I, I don't think, he think Benny's with her. But she's done an amazing <laughs> thing. She's, she's locked horns with um, George Lockhart, you know, uh, Lockhart and Leith who run pretty much probably 85% of the UFC. Mm. Um, well, 80%. She's... Um, She's done amazing things and, and just the process of her being where she is today, the amount of learning she's done. And if anyone thinks, this will put things in perspective, you know, getting ready for a fight isn't just about the punching and the kicking. Again, I'm going to say, there's a psychology mm-hmm. part of it, there's a nutrition side. If you're going to worry about the week of the fight or leading into the fight, losing that weight and saying, look, I can't, do extra cardio because I'm just flat or whatever, then we've got some issues. Um, it's amazing. It's, I, I've seen it work with guys uh, firsthand and the guys are actually eating more and losing weight. Hmm. You know, the average person sitting there thinking, listening to this, they'll think, Fuck it, how, the, how the hell do you We're eat just more? eating the right things, Yeah, eating the right foods, it. yeah, resting right. 
uh, training right. It, it, it's all going to work together. It's all interlinked. Mm. It's all going to come together. If it doesn't come together and you're doing sporadic stuff, it's not going to work. Stress is, plays a big factor with you holding weight. Right. You know, d- drinking more water, you'd think, oh, yeah. But then when they reduce the water on you, you'll find that your weight just drops off, you know. And then they've got specialty things at the end to tweak it. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy's amazing. Jimmy will walk around at 102 kilos. He's probably on a couple more beers when he's 104, but um, he fights at, you know, 93. And uh, at 205. And, you know, here's a kid that fights, comes in fight week at 100 kilo. Fight right. week. So he's got, you know, six, seven kilo to lose. That's he doesn't. Insane. He doesn't. It's, it's the way it's done. And they aren't dehydrated. They're not low on energy. They're full of beans. They're rehydrated and they're ready to go. And then when they make weight, there's this hydration process that they go through, you know, hmm. um, that Michelle puts them through. That's amazing. You know? And she's also accessible to just everyone as well, she's not a, even look, just fighters. Michelle, Michelle and I go back you know, 20, 30 years. You know, she's, I've known her for, for a hell of a long time. Um, besides being a beautiful person, she just knows her stuff. And I remember when she was getting involved with the fight with the fight guys, we got talking, and I thought, "This is what the fight game needs." You know, there's people out there that fight that actually need nutrition or nutritional advice, but don't want to spend money. I say, you know, first and foremost, you want to be good at something. It's what we call self investment. You've got to invest in yourself, and part of that is this: hmm. you are what you eat. Right. Simple. She'll tell you that. She'll tell you that. But there's so many intricate things that they know about that we don't. I, I, I always say, you know, I always say to people, and my manager used to say to me all the time, he goes, Sam, do what you're good at and pay people what you're bad at and you'll never go wrong. And words of wisdom. That's and I just awesome. say for any fighter out there uh, or just housewife or, or you know, or, or husband or whoever you are, you know, if, you know, you're interested in well-being, um, Man, get hold of Michelle. She's she's really really cool. Tell them I sent you. She's she's absolutely phenomenal. I can't I can't praise her enough. I got people actually today. I had a meeting this morning. I got two people living Hong Italians that dancers that live in Hong Kong, um, and I've just put on to them. So they're going to correspond via uh, email and wow. FaceTime and everything else and do her stuff. She does that also. So awesome, you've ne- you've never you've never left in the dark. And I cannot stress how important nutrition is um, for general health let alone fighting in a professional sport, okay, whatever. Yeah, of course, man. I, I, I cannot tell you. I, I literally can't wait to get her on the podcast as well to just be able to um, show everybody who listens to this as well about all of like the, the awesome benefits of nutrition and just pick her brains a little bit and then also document my fight camp journey as well over 10 weeks and see how much of an improvement I can make because I know that I'll stick to it you know, once I have a goal in mind. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait to get her on the podcast and, yeah, one and that of, journey as well. One of, one of the greatest things I found with my fighters, Sean Gouch was a prime example in his last fight, winning by KO. Irrespective of that, um, he didn't use Michelle the fight prior mm. and he used her for this fight. He was leaner, came in heavier fight week, didn't have to worry about the stress of, oh, I've got to lose the weight. He was told the way it was going to be done. It fell into place. Mentally, he was sharp. He wasn't dehydrated or anything. And he felt the best he ever felt. And one of the key elements was, he said to me, because I felt so good, I could actually hear you clearly in the corner. Hmm. So clear, crystal clear. So 
as I say to these people, you know, for those listening, it, it it's a combination of all these things. You need to get the, all these things right in order for you to be successful, just in life in general. Mm. You know, food can make or break you. You know, with the stuff that goes in our food these days, there's a lot of shit out there. There's a lot of shit out there. You know, I just wish, I wish they'd turn the tables around and make junk food expensive. Right. And make good food cheaper. I think we'd live wouldn't better off, be wouldn't nice. we? We'd live longer as well. How ironic is it? The, yeah. You, know, you, you, you want to eat well and, and be healthy and clean and it costs you more, a hell of a lot more than eating junk. Well, this is something I'm really looking forward to, like just improving my relationship with food and understanding nutrition better and what's best for me. But, um, mate, we're going on to an hour and 15 here. Oh, God. I have to get, <laughs> I have to get your prediction before you go for uh, Rob Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya and, and um, also Volkanovski versus Holloway before you go, if possible. No problem. <laughs> Um, well, look, we've got, we've got the UFC in next week and Rob Whitaker versus uh, Israel Desanya. Look, both are very, very talented fighters. Um, take nothing away from either one of them. Um, honestly, you know, people say there's going to be a knockout. I don't feel there's going to be a knockout. I think it'll go the distance. I really feel it's going to go the distance. But I think Rob Whitaker will take it. Rob is such a technical guy. But I, I mean super technical. And the thing he's got going for him, his timing is impeccable. Absolutely impeccable. Israel Desanya is just a freak of nature. He can pull techniques from anywhere. Mm. You know, and you saw that against uh, yeah, Silva because they both sort of looked like they were simulating yeah, each man, other. I wish that was a But then when he fought Gaslam, it was different, you know. Yeah. Um, and take nothing away from Adesanya. I absolutely admire the kid for what he's doing. You know, absolutely admire. But I think Rob Whitaker probably will have the edge at the end. You know, hey, may the best man win yep. in that one there. As for Holloway and uh, Volkanovski, uh, I, admire, I admire them both. Volkanovski, they're both, you know, he's a personal friend of mine. Um, I think what Volkanovski has shown in his last couple of fights, he's just like a bull terrier. The guy does not stop. He's got a fuel tank that's never-ending. He it's seems constantly to be mentally full. very strong as well. Very, very strong, and he's, he's relentless if he takes you down and you're thinking of getting back up or whatever, or vice versa, he's so relentless. He's back on his feet or he takes you down. He doesn't care. And he's not afraid to trade. You know? And he's very calculated in what he does. He, um, I mean, here's a guy, I don't know whether you saw it, Volkanovski, when he was playing rugby, yeah, he was, was 92 kilo. <laughs> Crazy, 92 kilo. Now he's fighting 145. 145, are you Man. kidding me? He was, same, same, he was the same weight as what Jim is yeah. fighting at. Jimmy's a fat fuck. Don't worry about Jimmy. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, so, so, you know, uh, I had this chat with Volkanovski and when he showed me the picture, I said, no, that's been Photoshopped. He goes, no, that was me. And to see his transition and where he is today, I mean, diets, are, you know, nutrition's a key element for him there. That just goes to show. Most of those top guys have all got nutritionists. Hmm. They do. They have to have them. Yeah, you have to, man, just for the weight cut. You've you got to let the experts do their work. It just takes the pressure off you. You do what you're good at, pay what you're bad at. Right. You know, so I say Volkanovski. Um, look, I say Whitaker distance, win on uh, decision. You think decision again? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, and Volkanovski, third round. Well, mate, I can't even say how grateful I am for you coming here that today. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, mate, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm speechless, honestly. It's been so cool. Um, if you want to tell everybody where they can find you on, on, yeah, on you know, social well, first media. Of all, first of all, I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity. No, Look, thank you. I hope, I hope you guys have, um, you know, 
you know, of all the things I've said, if you can take one thing away and just make it work for you, I know I've done my job and that's, that's what it's about. Uh, it's not about being a world champion fighter or anything else. It's about passing on my knowledge and experience to you guys out there. Um, and if you want to find me, guys, follow me at, uh, at uh, what is it, Sam Greco K1 on Instagram and also on Twitter. And also um, go to www.samgreco.com.au and have a look at my I'm a Fighter campaign. Just have a read up on what I do and so on. And if there's any questions, just shoot me off an email or a text, whichever it may be. Yep. But um, other than that, I just hope you found this informative to whatever degree and uh, I know, hope you've taken, taken something away from it and uh, good luck to everyone. And if you guys want to ever go for a nice feed, Don Camillo Cafe. Yeah, know, there you go. And uh, there you go, mate, Sammy. Thank you very much. pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank Can't you. wait to get you on again. Good on you. Take Cheers, care. Guys. Thank See you guys.